Hi, everyone in film photography land. It's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival, and we've got a special treat for you on this deep dive episode. We're welcoming Steve Dowling from Cosmo Photo. Coming to you live from Toronto, Canada, this is the Classic Camera Revival. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you certainly will after listening to our show. And we're back. So with me today is Steve Dowling from Cosmo Photo over in sunny London, England, and uh, John Meadows, who's helping out with uh, the questions and, of course, doing the engineering of this lovely podcast. So hi, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Uh, greetings to you and everyone listening. Yes, welcome. Yeah. So, Stephen, uh, for those of us who live under a rock or have been in witness protection or living in the high Arctic without any... Uh, access to the internet. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what got you into photography? And of course, what made you start Cosmo Photo? Yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> so I'm by day, I'm, I'm making myself sound like a superhero or a, a secret <laughs> agent or something. Uh, by day, I'm a journalist and I've been a journalist um, for nearly 30 years. Um, by day, I'm a journalist and I work at the BBC uh, as a sort of science editor. Um, though a lot of my um, journalistic career was spent as a music journalist, which is quite an odd, um, an odd change in direction, as more than one person has told me before. Um, but uh, in my spare time, um, I run Cosmophoto, which uh, used to be a blog called Zorky Photo, and it was called Zorky Photo because I'm one of those strange people who has an affinity with Russian cameras. Um, so I got into photography about 20 years ago. So this is just before the sort of commercial or sort of mainstream adoption of digital. Um, and I really found myself gravitating towards sort of like the lo-fi lo end of um photography so everything from practicas to zenits to lomos and and that kind of thing um and so i've been shooting quite seriously um film photography since the early 2000s and i started zorky photo in hmm. 2012 um just as something to do in my spare time really um because i've been shooting so much and i thought i'd sort of accrued quite a bit of knowledge about cameras and photography and arcane films and all that kind of stuff. And it, it seemed to be a sort of growth area. And this is sort of before the analog photography revival, I'd say. So I did yeah. that. And then um, I changed the name in 2017 uh, when I launched my film, um, which is called Cosmophoto Mono. And I basically did that because uh, Zorky, which was a range of um, rangefinder cameras made by KMZ, which is the sort of giant industrial um, photography works that also made Zenit cameras. Um, they still own the rights to the name Zorky in Russia. So I thought, uh, okay, well, I won't, I won't create a problem for myself further down the line. <laughs> Um, they're also owned by an arms company, and I, if I've learned anything in life, it's like don't piss off Russian arms. 
<laughs> yeah, two guys named Pavel and Dimitri will just show up at your door and yeah. persuade you. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't like, want my wife to come home to that, or, yeah. or, or the cat. Um, so uh, Therapy for cats is very expensive. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so it's been Cosmophoto since um, 2017. Um, and, yeah, since, since then I've been... Um, doing this sort of one man film brand, which is, uh, running a, uh, at, at the moment it's, it, well, up until very recently, like yesterday, it was one film, which was a 35 mil black and white film, mm-hmm. a re- repackaged film from the mighty people at FOMA in the Czech Republic. Um, but as of yesterday, when they arrived from, um, from the Czech Republic, uh, it's two films. Because the 120 version is um, has just landed, and I'm just looking at one of the boxes on my um, camera cabinet as I speak, sitting next oh, wow. to a Zenit. So yeah, it's it's been a good week. It's um, it's really weird how uh, even this far into doing this and having like spent various, you know, emails and turns and throwings of a box design um when it actually turns up as a physical product it's still a bit of a wrench in a really good way it's like oh yeah this this thing actually exists so um, have you kind of found that uh, since launching cosmo mono 100 is it sort of exceeded anything you ever dreamt like wow this stuff this film emulsion really took off i i can only say that it's massively exceeded my expectations. So um, I thought that if I sold 5,000 rolls of film in the first year, that would be quite good. That would basically be two batches um, of the production. And the first year I sold 15,000 rolls of film. Wow. Whoa. So, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I think part of that is the novelty of it and the fact that, um, not to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but I think the design of the packaging is really eye-catching and it really, like, you know, just looking on forums and, um, you know, comments on stories, people have gone, I know this is a repackaged film, but I'm going to buy it just because I love the packaging so much. And I think it stands out. If you see a, you know, not to take anything away from, you know, the Ilfords and Kodaks and Fujis, obviously, but um, when you have a, a range of films like that, I think there's less freedom for you to make a statement with the packaging because you have mm. to be part of a, a, a heritage and a lineage. Like, you know, I, I think Ilford in particular have done something quite well where, um, you know, each film has a different colour with the lettering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can at a glance, if you know that range, you can tell if they've got your film in stock because you'll either see the color or you won't. But if you're just coming in new to film, like maybe a 15 year old who's never shot it or, you know, somebody who maybe shot film for a semester in college and hasn't really thought about it for the last 15 years, but, you know, has picked up an old film camera and is quite excited to do it. You don't have that same, like, awareness of brand and, um, you know, what to look for in terms of you know the color coding around the mm. the films you want might want to buy. So 
people like that, I think, are maybe going to be swayed a bit more by eye-catching packaging, and you know that that does sound quite um, quite millennial and um, superfluous. But I think you know, in the history, if you if you look at articles, I know there was a really good one on Japan Camera Hunter a few months ago where um, this writer just sort of looked through, like, you know, ch- chose 10 great film design, film box designs from the, you know, the past. Like, there was some really amazing graphics and awesome box designs. So I wanted something to sort of fit into that lineage to maybe look a bit retro and look, you know, like it might have, been something produced in the Eastern Bloc in the 1970s, maybe. It's well, it's uh, John here. I'm just going to jump in. I just, I just love the packaging. What it reminds me of, uh, like when I was a kid, I, I collected stamps, and yeah. uh, I had, you know, someone gave me a bunch of stamps that were made in the Soviet Union, and they were they yeah. were made for collectors, and the uh, the look and feel of this packaging captures that era perfectly. I mean, it's really nice to hear that because that's a real, um, like, touchstone for what I was looking for. So I I didn't design the packaging myself. It's made by an amazingly talented designer um, who goes by the name My Mate Does Art, but uh, I know him as Martin. Um, And he uh, he really got it, got what I was trying to go for. And, you know, the, the stuff that I was using as this touchstone was a lot of <clears throat> East European like graphic arts from sort of the Cold War periods, sort of 50s up until um, 70s or 80s. So I've always been interested in um, Eastern Europe and Soviet Union, Russia. And with collecting the cameras, I also started seeing a lot of like really interesting graphic art from posters to camera boxes to like, um, you know, matchbox covers to, you know, all sorts of like really interesting graphic art. And, and that was even at the back of my mind, even before I I thought of doing the film, it was like, if I ever do like a book or or something about like my interest in Russian cameras, I can basically, I know what it'll need to look like, like the book cover or, you know, the art or whatever and so when uh, it was after um bellamy hunt did his film and i got the idea to do cosmophoto mono uh, it, i suddenly you know was like oh of course i know what the box art is going to look like because i've had this stuff percolating in the background and this you know interest in this sort of russian east european graphic art so um originally it was it was going to be Zorky photo film. The really odd, uh, odd thing was that I had this sort of space style graphics on it anyway. So when it came to working out what the name change would be, it was like, well, I've got this sort of space themed stuff. It wasn't a huge leap to then go to, you know, some kind of space name and Cosmo just seemed to again, like reinforce that, aesthetic because cosmonauts and cosmos and mm-hmm. you know especially with a k instead of a c it sort of underlines that kind of 
East European flavor. So it, it was it was really odd how it kind of came together without really overthinking it. It was it arrived quite naturally, which was nice. Well, speaking of Eastern Europe, we sort of uh, asked some of the people in the Toronto uh, Film Shooters Facebook group to come up with some questions. And one of them, Boris Taylor, uh, don't let the last name fool you, he's from the quiet side of the Balkans. Uh, he asked a few questions. One, just how related is Cosmo Mono 100 is to Fomapan 100, uh, aside from, of course, being coded in the same factory in the Czech Republic? His experience is, is your film is finer grained than the Foma product. Wow. Um, well, I've not been able to run um, scientific tests on the two films side by side. Um, but all I can say is that they should be the same film. So okay. um, it might be that he's been running his FOMA in FOMA Pen 100 in a different developer. Maybe. Um, but uh, if, you know, maybe through some strange osmotic chemistry it's like because he thinks it's different it's it looks different i don't know maybe uh, sticking with uh boris for a second uh actually no i'll, I'll flip uh, another uh one of our member the toronto uh film shooter facebook members uh ken duty asks where can he find the text specs in particular the spectral response curves uh for this film for the tech data the tech data. So um, I have l a limited amount of that, which came from the factory. Um, I probably need to post that. Um, I because I've been quite, I think, quite um, transparent about the fact this is a film from FOMA that's one hundred speed. Um, people can fill in the blanks. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'd say 90%, but even that, yeah. it's like the packaging, your packaging is way cooler than their packaging. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, if, if people want to do that detective work on their own, um, you know, they should be able to, for instance, if anyone asks, you know, what timings should I, I be thinking of if I want to use X developer, then mm -hmm. I would say just go to the massive development um, and process as you would from pan 100 because it should be it should be behaving exactly uh as from pan 100 is and that's what i found personally and again it's from pan 100 it's really nice film it's yeah. one of my go-tos um and i guess another question from the uh, hive mind of the toronto film community are you planning to introduce other films aside from uh 120 format also that's also tied my, my brother Alex shoots large format. Are you planning to introduce sheet film? So um, sheet film is a bit of an unknown quantity for me, if I'm honest, just because I'm a 35 mil and 120 shooter. So while I have about 100 cameras, none of them are larger than 120. So um, you're in good company. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of great, um, 120 photography, obviously, but uh, it's just not something I've ever, I suppose, had the patience um, to shoot with. Uh, it's, you know, I tend to sh do a lot of my shooting when I'm traveling and, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, sort of peopling around where I live in Southeast London. So while there's any number of things that would look good in 
large format. I, I just uh, I don't lug a tripod and all the associated stuff around. So um, it feels to me that that would be a bit more of a gamble in terms of the market. Now I know yeah. that Foma Pan uh, will Foma make their films in large format, but as a third party without quite the same sort of brand recognition at the moment, um, that would seem to be a bit more of a gamble. So I would be, I would need to partner up with somebody like um, Steve Lloyd, maybe who mm. produced the, the chroma camera or intrepid cameras um, who are, are based in the UK, because I think, you would you would definitely need to be penetrating the right market um, mm-hmm. to sound all capitalist, um, because I just think if you were like announcing on a Facebook group, like "Hey guys, I've made another film and it's large format," maybe one percent of those people are yeah have a large format camera. So I mean, it is you know film film photography is a niche anyway. Like, in large formats, a niche of a niche. Yeah. So yeah, it's what it's one percent probably of film photography. You know, it might it might be two percent now. Um, and you know, I'm this is not me knocking people who shoot large format because, um, as I say, I've seen like, loads of amazing large format photography. And you know, Kodak and Fuji are still and Ilford and Foma are still um, catering to that market. But it is. Um, I think it's something that you that you come to after you've gone through the gateway drugs of 35 mil and 120, maybe. Well, uh, I'm sort of kidding. Let's just say I, I'm content to stick with the gateway drugs of 35 and 120. I I tried large format once, and as I joked on a classic camera revival episode, I burned through a sheet to realize, yeah, that this isn't for me. At this point in my life. And I'm a reformed large format shooter. That's my back just didn't like bending over anymore. Yeah, I mean it's when you see, you know, like amazing large format um photography, like there's a, a book by um uh an English photographer who went around Russia called um Motherland, um Rudina. And he took uh these beautiful portraits on a, a large format camera. Um, that he hauled all around Russia through all sorts of weather. And that's a, like, the photography's stunning. And, you know, you a portrait on large format, a you know, sort of environmental portrait, looks oh, wow. incredible because the, you know, and I've seen an exhibition of this stuff as well, and it just, you know, you could blow it up as tall as a four-story building and you wouldn't lose any resolution. So um, it looks amazing, but it's like, you know, I, I don't know if, Simon would want to be doing that in 25 years' time because <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> unless he has a fleet of a able-bodied assistants. Um, and uh, okay, so to answer the uh, other part of your question, which is, do I want to release other films? The answer is a big yes. Uh, I'm some way towards sorting out films number three and number four. Mm. Um, I've had very interesting conversations with um, companies other than FOMA Ooh. about um, uh, other films as well. So 
Yeah, watch the space. Uh, maybe four, five, six months. There might be some more news in that direction. Oh, right on. That's um, great news. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, as I said earlier, it was quite amazing that the response to um, Cosmophoto Mono and, you know, the fact that it sold 15,000 rolls in the first year. And now, do I think that that film will sell 15,000 in its second year? Probably not. Just because I think there, for some people there's a novelty. Hmm. Um now, some people will go, hey, I like this film and I'm prepared to like wait for it to be available in my local camera store or, you know, the extra money to buy it from Cosmo Photo himself. Um, but I think there would, there would just be a natural dip um, from the first year to the second. So for me to make this grow, uh, I think I need to be bringing out new films and I've, you know, I've said this on Sunny 16 before, so, um, you know, it's still at the heart. Eventually, I want to bring out a completely new film. Oh, we'd look forward to that. Oh, yeah. And it would be a, a black and white film. Mm. Now, I've had various discussions. Um, certain companies are quite amenable to working with me. Um, some, you know, haven't said no but I'm fairly busy. So it's, um, it, it's, it's definitely possible. It just comes down to money. Um, you, you'll be surprised at how much it costs to launch a film. Oh, even, I, I wouldn't even, doubt it. Even a black and white film, to take a film from, you know, the drawing board to a master role where you – you know, you have that master roll, which probably gives you 30,000 rolls of 35 mil. Mm-hmm. Looking at about 100,000 pounds. So that's what, 150,000 wow. Canadian dollars? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So um, that, that's a big outlay. And you know, I've checked, I checked behind the sofa before I came on. I, I don't have that lying <laughs> around the house. Um, so you know who who was able to to do that? Um, you know, people with deeper pockets than I, and you know, it's not really happening for various reasons. Um, I'm sure that you know there are people who want to do it, um, but they just haven't got that initial outlay which Mm. comes up with new film and then you know obviously when you have gone through that period the costs per roll go down because you no longer have to go through that alpha and beta testing well yeah it's it's a classic the more you make the cheaper it gets yeah yeah and i've sort of noticed that was uh the japan camera hunter street pan 400 it's actually come down in price uh over the past few years and actually, I've noticed that there's a big sort of like sort of uh, the rise of the boutique emulsion. Like we, I, I guess you're familiar with Cat Labs and their recent yeah, yeah. introduction of their uh, homage to Pentatomic X. Um, I have a, I had ten rolls. I got one of them in my Rolly Flex, which I'm going out to shoot after I'm 
finish this podcast recording, and uh, I can't wait to see what the results are. Alex Lux is uh, doing his testing, and he's he's like, wow, this is just like Panatomic X almost. And I've shot one so, roll, I mean, and I quite like it. I've not actually ordered that film yet. I need to get a, a few rolls and, and run it through. But to me, that's quite an interesting one because they're saying that it's not an, uh, an existing emulsion. So No. Um, it, it, it is done. Uh, they are using Shanghai backing paper, which makes me yeah. wonder if it's being made for them by Shanghai. And But it's to the specs of Cat Labs. Like, we want it to look like this. Yeah. And so so that that is something that I think... Um, yeah. I hinted at this in a story I did on... on Cosmophoto at the end of 2017, which is like a big long read on like what what does film pho photography's future look like, and what will the film photography um, market look like in 2030, maybe mm -hmm. like, uh, early 2030s. You know, giving uh, you know a little bit of space between now and um, you know uh, a new generation shooting film, and I th I think. I think we'll see a lot of the big players, even if they're not doing it at the moment, I think they will start making space available for, um, you know, the boutique brands, the people who want to do something a bit different um, to, you know, make a film for them. So, you know, let's say, for instance, hypothetically, Kodak, says to people, yeah, you know, we can do this sort of like uh, slide film that's made, designed to be cross-processed and looks like E100VS um, cross-processed. Yeah, we, we can do that for you. So, you know, how many are you looking at making? Um, you know, we'll soup the recipes. So it's like, it, this is exactly your film. Uh, and we won't make it for anyone else. And, you know, you have to make 20,000 rolls of this a year. Um, you know, it'll be, I think, a similar situation to that. So people will kind of be able to take in off the shelf uh, emulsion, the formulation, and mm -hmm. have that made. And, you know, I think the companies that could probably make quite a... Uh, a decent stick with that, uh, Kodak and Ferrania. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Ferrania being totally back online. I was very fortunate to shoot the one roll of their Alpha, P, um, the P30, mm. and I was, and it was on a lesson. You know, in hindsight, it was one of those days that maybe I should have waited for a sunnier day. But I was impressed with what I got, and I was like. And I managed to get three more rolls through some wheeling and dealing in a bit of a trade. And uh, I'm looking forward to shooting that. And I'm also looking forward to hopefully uh, Ferrania gets around to doing a four, uh, C41 film. Because uh, that's one thing we desperately need is some fresh players in that space. Even though... It's probably, if you think black and white film, coming up with something back from the dead or is expensive, that's probably even more so. I, I mean, if, if, you want, if you wanted to bring a color film, 
back from the dead, even like an existing emulsion. Say you wanted to take the old um, Solaris 400 or even Solaris 400, or even, or, you know, Kodak, like if you wanted to take the, you know, the warm tone Kodak Gold 100, hmm. that's going to be a million dollars without a problem because you have to R&D that. You oh, know, I that, know, because part some, of chemicals, some chemicals and, and are no color, longer available. With, and With color, it's just, it's so much more of a of an issue um, because there's there's more chemicals um, that need to go in that. If you're wanting to uh, make a color C41 film, the chemist, the chemical process is just so much more complicated than black and white. And there's there's all this extra steps of R and Ding that you have to do at every stage. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to Bob Shanebrook, um, who wrote Making Kodak Film, you know, a long time Kodak engineer, and he he's like very helpful and and sort of shining a bit of a a, a spotlight um, on on this process. And he said, like, color films, like it's a complex process. It's, it's not mm. an easy thing to do. And, you know, back in the heyday of film, you know, the big filmmaking plants, Agfa, Kodak, Solaris, um, sorry, Ferrania, um, Fujifilm, you know, they, they employed thousands of engineers, like people with like chemical engineering degrees. And that's what they did. Nine, you know, 80%, 90% of their workforce was in R&D. And now it's hobbyists. And yeah, crazy. and it's it's we're at the we're at a quite optimistic time in terms of um, the hobby because you know if I look at Cosmo Photo Mono, I wouldn't have tried this in 2012 when I set my blog up because I thought that in 10 years' time I'd probably just be shooting black and white film because everything else would have gone um, because it was still such a downturn. I mean, that was just after Kodak got rid of all of its slide films. We'd lost things like uh, Fuji Riala 100, which is a mm. really good... Um, I missed that Sony. film. Great film. So so you were already, even after like the darkest days of like emulsions disappearing almost month by month, we were seeing like yet further reductions. Um, so, you know, that was the period where I was like, well, you know, maybe I've got 10 years to, you know, write some stuff about film photography. Um, mm. we're in a much, much more optimistic and, um, interesting, like space for film photography. It's growing every year. The amount of people I see shooting film in London, I mean, I, I see people with a film camera every day. Like even on my commutes, I see people with film. Cameras. Oh, that's cool. Because I was going to ask, what's the analog uh, film photography community like in London? Uh, huge. Is, is there huge. is there a large sort of? Um, I gotta say, are there a, a lot of retail uh, photography stores supporting it? Uh, not only are there a lot of stores which continue to support it, there are labs opening up. Oh, there nice. are stores that didn't used to stock film opening you know lines of film um they're you know just from having the film um i've i've been contacted by people who are like oh yeah we used to stop film and we stopped for a while and and now we're 
you know, getting back into it. And you're also seeing the rise of um, sort of online film retailers uh, who are catering for, you know, people who maybe live outside the big centres. So in the UK, you know, outside London, Manchester, Birmingham, where there's, you know, enough bodies that can, you know, support a store on a high street that's selling film. Mm-hmm. Now, if you live in a smaller market town or, you know, in a village on the coast somewhere, you know, it, with film being more of a niche now, you, you maybe don't have that, um, you know, pool of customers. But, um, you know, you have these online retailers who are able to you know, pop something into the post to you. And that's that's really kicked off, I would say, in the last not even 18 months. So, you know, you, you have Analog Wonderland who started last May. And then, We've uh, heard of them. Uh, yeah. And Film Bros, who are um, a pair of guys in London who just started at the tail end of last year. And I've been contacted by two other people who are setting up similar, you know, online film shops but aren't yet running. So I think that's, you know, we're at the start of growth of that kind of stuff. And I think it's that comes hand in hand with the rise of boutique brands like mm. like Cosmophoto or Japan Camera Hunter or um you know Azamago also um releasing a, a repackaged film. Um you know Spama or Astrum as they're called now, sort of um you know, reprocessing Agfa film. Oh, wow. You have these new um new brands and so the the interesting thing with that is you know i i've had some really interesting chats with uh with foma who made my film mm-hmm. they don't see making this film for me as something that erodes their market they no. see it as something that adds to their market that's smart so, um People aren't buying my film and not buying a Femapan film or a Kodak film or a, an Ilford film. They're buying my film and they're still buying that other stuff that they like. So they're actually spending more money on their hobby or their passion or whatever you want to call it. It's it's actually helping get more money into, into the business. And, mm. you know, that becomes something that is like extra revenue at every stage. It's extra revenue to the people who make the film, but also the third parties that they uh, fit, like the people who make the plastic bottles or the printing firm that makes the labels of the boxes. Or even the canisters. The canisters, yeah. And, um, you know, it also means there's – around the world, 15,000 more rolls of film that had to be developed. Uh Some of those people will obviously do it themselves because it's black and white, but that also means that they need to buy chemicals. So that is an extra amount of money and not an inconsiderable amount of money. Um, That is like essentially new money into into the film community and into the film photography 
economy and and I think the more small players like myself that there are the the more healthy it's going to become and I think the big players I mean Kodak has been very nimble on this I would say um, a lot more nimble than uh, Fujifilm for instance who um, you know still make great films but uh, have been perhaps less uh, uh, proactive in like asking asking the community what it is they want from from Fujifilm. Fuji um, is no I, longer on, Fuji is no longer on my Christmas card list. <laughs> you're you're not the first person to say that, but I, I think you know Ilford and and especially Kodak, you know they're really they want to know what people want to use because like if they can make it that's stuff that people will buy and you know look at the enormous success of ectochrome and you know that that's not a cheap film over in the uk that's 14 15 quid a roll and i know this because i bought some for a, a trip to the far east i did in november that's that's a lot of money per roll, but mm-hmm. it sold out. It it really did sell out. And so when you have something that expensive, and, and you know, I know people have done the um, price comparisons. It's actually not more expensive than shooting film in the 1950s. Um, but it still feels, you know, when that 15 pounds goes out of your hand for a roll of film, it doesn't include um, processing yet. It's yeah, a, that's lunch. <laughs> and um, right, beer. That, that just means that's you know that's people are prepared to put their money where their mouth is to support film. And I think some of the other players, like from what I've heard, and I and this is not something I can be quoted on because I, I haven't had this quoted officially by anyone. But the idea that, you know, this new facility, which is making Kodak's uh, E6 film, Mm. which isn't running, you know, 24 hours a day, because that's uh, not the nature of, um, you know, single film lines anymore. But, you know, are they really just going to make E100 with that? Are they not going to? make other films with that like you know they've they've got that facility which you know has plenty of capacity still so i'd be very surprised if we don't see another announcement about another e6 film from from kodak pretty soon it would be great if they could sort of bookend that film like do us do us like a let's say a 25 or 32 speed and then, then let's say a 400 speed actochrome yeah, I mean, I've you know I've heard rumours. The one I've heard is that they're preparing something which is they've never done before, and I can't really divulge it. But if it does come out, it is it is literally something that has never before been in the stills market. And, oh, cool! Um, it's something that I could not wait to try. I've heard um, similar rumblings through. Uh, I'm trying to remember who was talking about that. I think it was a Sunny Sixteen podcast. They were interviewing somebody from Kodak, and he was being very coy about, "Well, we've got some stuff 
in behind. It, you know, I think it was sort of alluding that there was going to be a 120 version of Ektachrome 100, which I'm waiting with uh, bated breath. I mean, that's that's definitely happening now. Uh, happening. This is something. I mean, it's we have never seen a product like this. It's um, it's, it's genuinely exciting. Well, we just got to sit back and wait, and hopefully, in the meantime, they'll re-release Plus X. Oh, I'd love yes. that. Yeah, well, yeah that, that's... No, I'm hype. I'm 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 beating that horse because uh, it was just that one of those films. I, I I really was sad when they killed that one. So that's something I've only ever really shot as a um, as an expired film really because at the time i was shooting and it was still uh, around because i think they got rid of that about 2012 um, same time 12. as the slide film it was like the big purge uh there, there you go yeah um i was shooting uh fiji across or um fp4 um and it's you know if i think back like occasionally and I see a picture of like a, a camera shop in the '90s, and there's all these emulsions. And I think, how? What? Jesus! Why wasn't I shooting all this different stuff? It's like, well, you, know, you, you and me both. You shoot with what you like. You know, yeah, you, you shoot what you like, and you forget the other stuff until it's gone, and then you start yeah. weeping for it. Exactly, and uh, you know, we. If you, all you have to do is look at the, the list of discontinued films on Wikipedia. There's a really good page there. Um, and it's there's stuff that I've had no idea about. It's like really, like you know, no. It's like and and also you know when I first got into film, I was you know, at times struggling freelance journalist in my mm. mid twenties. So you know, I didn't have a huge um, budget for shooting film. I didn't shoot a lot of slide film just because it was. Um, you know, more uh, back in those days, it was still reasonably cheap to buy, especially if you went to the right place. But it was just a bit more expensive to develop, and um, especially to scan um, back in the days before like scanners were reasonably cheap as well. So mm. um, it, it, it's odd that, like, you know, the while the amount you know the the variety or the range of films we have to shoot with has has obviously dwindled a lot compared to the heyday of maybe 2002 or 2003 whenever the high water mark was um you know a lot of the other like uh, aspects of shooting film it's like we're probably in the best position we've ever been mm -hmm. in a lot of places like developing the film is not that expensive I can get my film just developed not scanned for five pounds a roll which you know that's less than the cost of a pint of beer well um, essentially it, here I can get a roll of 35 millimeter film processed only don't cut don't scan I can get it done for seven dollars and change which is yeah just literally just under a price uh, for a pint of beer here so it's about the same. Good beer. Good, Good beer, beer. I yeah. Mean, you know, we're, we're not talking cooking lager. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, obviously, I won't name uh, any any brands in case uh, I cause some kind of uh, Toronto beer war. 
if you if you do that, it'll be a long walk back to London. You won't even make it to the airport. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm actually working on a piece. I started it last year before I got a bit sidetracked with various bits and bobs. Um, but just asking that question, like, is the era of cheap film over? Um, because that's what a lot of people think. And, you know, I myself am, um, you know, I'm prone to, to thoughts in that direction. Sometimes it's like, yeah, geez, exochrome's like 15 quid. A roll of Probia's 14 quid. And you you do need to sit down and think, well, you know, how how much was this film same moment when my dad was shooting it in the sixties or seventies or, mm. uh, you know, stuff like that, you know, how much, how much of a dent in your disposable income is it compared to, you know, your parents' generation. And sometimes it's, it's not much more expensive than, um, than you think it might be. I think, I think one of the issues is it's just not available anywhere because, um, you know, in a lot of places, there's just not the community shooting it at the mm. moment. You know, the the you know, and even in London, you know, having said that, um, you know, there are more places opening up, which there are, and I'm I'm sure that trend hasn't finished yet. That's after a long period of like decline and downturn, and like mm. the lads' business and and camera shops as well. Like you know, a load of great. They have almost household names in terms of um, camera shops. They they went to the wall just because people weren't weren't buying from camera shops. And, you know, in the same way that rec- a load of record stores went downhill because you know people were buying the records off the internet. That's a uh, you know a, a part of the problem is uh, you know the, the world's biggest camera shop is eBay. Yeah, camera shop. Um, and, and that, you know, if, if you're a store that's, um, depending on, you know, getting people to buy, you know, the latest films, uh, latest cameras by Fujifilm or Pentax or Olympus or Canon or whoever, you're just not going to be able to compete with somebody who just has a warehouse, you know, somewhere where the, the rates are cheaper. Mm. They don't have to run a, um, you know, a, a, a high street store with, you know, the labor and the rates and everything. It's like, of course, they're going to be able to offer it for cheaper. So, um, you know, the specialist stores have sort of tough time with that. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing a reaction to that. We're seeing people, you know, a, a certain niche of people, not everyone, like, kind of doing an about turn from that you know convenience is king like i can click a button and it'll be with me tomorrow we're Um, lucky we're lucky around here that we've got two stores that are very analog photography friendly uh (laughs) downtown camera which also carries your film Shameless plug to our friends at Downtown Camera and Burlington Camera out uh, sort of between Toronto and Hamilton. They're both, uh, again, they're they're old school camera stores, whereas there are other ones that have essentially just walked away from the film space altogether and they'll be content to sell you a mirrorless. Yeah, and, you know, that, that, that kind of thing happened in, 
in London as well. So, um, you know, unfortunately, the store uh, that I'm about to mention no longer has a high street um, store, but they're, they're still operating as a um, uh, a processor and they um, they sell film online and they sell secondhand cameras. So they, they were called, well, still are called West End Camera and they were based um, right in the centre of London's West End on Tottenham Court Road, which is, mm. if you're not familiar to London, it's like slap bang in there the sort of theatre district okay. and um, sort of in 2005 when digital really started um, becoming a, a mainstream thing uh, the two guys who ran it realised that they were just not able to um, like compete with the online sellers in terms of you know uh, selling the new digital cameras, digital compacts, DSLRs it's like they would they would have to go so low that they were like they were barely making anything on these you know cameras that were costing them five hundred pounds. So they just went well. There'll always be the there'll always be a niche. So let's just not sell this stuff. Let's just concentrate on film and darkroom supplies and everything related to uh, film cameras. So I did a, a an interview with them for the BBC when I did a, a piece about 2015 on you know the people who just stuck with film and um that's when i got to know these guys quite well uh, one of the managers edgar said that around this time so this is the same time that um ilford basically went under and then was resurfaced uh, thanks to a management buyout he said so we would order a pallet of film from Ilford and that would be he said about 1200 rolls Hmm. and that would be a mix of everything there'd be a bit of large format 120 but mostly 35 mil but it would be from the total range that um, uh, Ilford did so FP4, HP5, Delta 3200 um, you know Delta 100 Hmm. all that stuff Um, about 1200 rolls that would last them about five weeks he said we'd get down to about 200 150 rolls put another order in and it would take another 10 days for that order to arrive and he said normally we'd just hit it about right we might be down to the last 50 rolls in the shop and we'd have this new influx in so six weeks in between a a pallet 1200 um Rolls of film. When I was speaking to him, which gave me this idea for the story, so this is probably the end of 2014, he said, We put, you know, he told me that backstory and he said, We order a pallet of film from Ilford mm-hmm. and it gets to us the next day. Two days later, I'm putting an order in for another pallet. Wow, wow. And that was how much. The resurgence they were seeing in film. Now that, that was a shop that had all, always, you know, p- people knew that that place sells film. People mm-hmm. knew that it was, you know, it's always worth going and have a, having a look at West End. They processed, but they, you know, they, they had a, a wall of film that was, you know, a sight to behold because they had everything. Um, but they, you know, they were selling an absolute shitload of film every day. 
but it just got to the point where what they were being asked for and rates just did not make it viable for a a retail a, operation. Yeah, because you know you've got a limited uh, amount of hours to run. You know, people who are walking down that street at 10 o'clock at night aren't going to be looking to buy film. They're going to be looking for somebody to get a drink or, you know, something to eat. So if you're not in hospitality, you you have a, a limited, like, window during the day in which to sort of play, play your trades. So, um, How about a combination pub that also does one-hour photo finishing? Well, you know, this is what I hinted at in and this long read I was mentioning before is like what we think of as a camera shop isn't what what you know the new film photographers of 2030 are going to be shopping and it's going to look completely different and I think we're already seeing it in some places so you know I don't know if you um you guys know Anthony Rue um I, I I know the name I haven't chatted with him personally have you so, found it as a resurgence of community dark rooms in the UK and in London? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's um, that's happening as well. So there's a, um, a place called the Bright Rooms, mm-hmm. which um, is in South London. So they opened a few years ago, and I think they've already tripled their um, tripled their space. So you know, such is the demand for a community dark room in South London, which um, where they live has got quite a young population, kind of hipstery, people who are, you know, have a bit of disposable income and maybe, you know, interested in stuff that's a little left field. But, you know, for instance, like Anthony's place, uh, he runs a place called Volta Coffee in Mm -hmm. um, Gainesville in Florida. And he said, like, the last place that sold film in Gainesville closed down. That's a city of 200,000 people. And he just went, well, I'll, I'll sell film in, in my coffee store. And, like, that can become the hub. And, you know, he, bought, he buys film from me and he buys it from, you know, other places as well. And he sells film in this coffee shop. Yeah. And he said, you know, that's, that's become one of the, like, hubs for the film community in Gainesville. It's like... Now that is not a traditional um, film photography outlet that your parents or my parents would have bought film at. No, they would have bought it from a chemist or a specialty camera shop, or maybe in a supermarket, and that probably would have been it, or, or an airport concession. But you know, the, when I was travelling last year in Porto in Portugal. I found this great place. Um, I'm not going to search for the name of it while I'm telling you about it. Um, it, w- it was a sort of film and camera shop kind of, but it was also a record store and a coffee shop and a bar and club upstairs. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, and it looked, you know, I only found it on the last day. And, um, you know, they, they knew what Cosmophoto was. They'd already bought my postcards and stickers and a few rolls of film and they were like, let's have a party tonight. Let's get like, you know, I had to leave to fly back to, to London, but it's like, it's totally, you know, it's, I'm in my mid forties. So that's probably not aimed like at my generation, but it's aimed at a younger generation of um, film shooters who, you know, who go to places where, you know, it's, 
it's doing more than the record store that just sells records or the, mm-hmm. the place where you buy the your coffee, which just does coffee. It does coffee and maybe cakes. It's like there's a little, you know, these 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 are more sort of community spaces or spaces where, you know, there's different things going on, which I think is really interesting and um, like progressive and you know really really awesome. More power to them. I I hope to see. I wish I would see uh, spaces like that open up in other parts of the world. Uh, so I like the idea because the way we usually do it uh, when we do photo walks, we start with a really nice coffee and we end with beer, with walking uh, uh, in between. And I, I've, I've done that um, with the London Camera Project doing mm-hmm. one, so very similar to the um, uh, beer and camera um, uh, walks, which are quite big in the States. So mm-hmm. I know there's a big one in San Diego and uh, New York. So uh, I went along to one um, just because I'd, I'd met Rob up at the, the big photography show um, up in Birmingham in February, I think it was. And, mm-hmm. and Rob runs London Camera Project. And he, he sort of talks to Kodak and various other people and maybe gets a little, um, you know, aid package of film. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also like buys cheap cameras, makes sure they're working and just has a few spare cameras that people want to turn up and maybe haven't shot film before, but want to try it out. So they, they don't even have to buy a camera. They can just like turn up. He might have some free film for them. Um, you know, he's got a camera they can borrow so they can actually try it. And, you know, we, I think there were about 40 people, maybe 30 people at this, um, photo walk and we all ended up in a, in a pub had a had a great time and it was um wow you know from teenagers up to you know people in their in their 40s like me so it was a really nice mix um and you know disparate fairly disparate like interests and all shooting like you know wildly different cameras some people had holgers some people had like likers it was uh, it was really good fun but you know everyone was everyone was there for the same thing which was to you know revel in shooting film and um being around other people who shoot film who who don't go you know oh are you sure you can get, still get film for that or why wouldn't what, just shoot with your phone it's easier so like all of those other sort of mindless questions you sometimes get asked when you were powder mm-hmm. a film camera. But, but I think, I think there's less of those than there used to be a decade ago. People would go, you know, Oh, you can't buy film anymore. Or, um, you know, why don't you just shoot digital? It's, it's easier. I think people now are like, Oh, cool. You're, you're shooting film. It's like, it's come back to the other side. Mm-hmm. How how are the lifestyle items doing on your website? So those, um, yeah, you know, part of that design aesthetic has found its way onto T-shirts and um, postcards and stuff. I mean, that comes in dribs and drabs. I know that I can say that the Cosmonaut T-shirt, which I launched last year, um, they're almost sold out. They sold really well. 
Um, and I have another T-shirt which um, just arrived a couple of weeks ago, which is um, it's called Cassettelite. And it's mm. basically a, a satellite in the shape of a film cassette with um, solar panels and basically film. Oh, nice. <laughs> So, yeah, have, have a look on the Cosmo Photo shop. Uh, there are plenty of those in stock if people feel something um, interesting to wear in uh, hopefully the warming weather, yeah. certainly in the northern, northern hemisphere. So, um, yeah, uh, I've sort of taken quite a scattered gun approach, I think. Bas- basically, I've never run a business before. I've always worked for... Um, worked for other corporations or sort of been a freelance journalist so um, I've just basically licked my finger, stuck it up in the air and, and seen which way the wind blows so um, I've also made uh, leather film pouches for 35mm film Oh, nice! Uh, which are uh, a nice little portable way of um, keeping four rolls of film outside of the canister just in a little pouch Um you can pop that in your camera bag or, you know, uh, you know, normal rucksack. Um, not something I would keep filming for like long-term periods just because, um, leather, there can sometimes be outgassing from, uh, from the stuff uh, that they use to treat leather. But, um, I, I have it on, on the authority of Bob Shanebrook who worked for Kodak, but like for, a few weeks or months in normal uh, situations, that's not a problem. So, uh, um, and they're, you know, handmade, hand-stitched um, in China from proper Italian leather. So a really nice little um, little item. Uh, there's postcards. There's um, stickers. People want to, oh. um, you know, put on their laptops or what have you it's just it's a bit of fun really it's you know i get these ideas and now i can just try stuff out there's there's a couple of other things that i'm looking at launching hopefully one will be over the summer which is um kind of a gap in the market uh in terms of like the people who really shoot film and and like sort of staying on top of what they're shooting and how they're shooting it um which I can't really divulge at the moment because I'm still testing it, but hopefully that will start seeing the light today. Um, maybe tail end of the summer. And then I may have another little niche for medium format shooters who want to try something a little bit different. So it kind of be a starter kit for um, medium format shooters. Oh, nice. Um so basically everything you need to shoot medium format in one box. Um, but you don't need a camera. So oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, something that, that should be approached with the right level of like, Hey, this will be a bit of fun. Um, not a pinhole, but, um, but something equally as fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm full of ideas. Uh, I would hope, but if you speak to me in a year's time, the Cosmo Photo Empire is four films. Um, that would be be my um, my wish, and then maybe in another two years, maybe 
three or four more films on top of oh, that. It's, cool. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm in this for the long haul. Uh, I haven't really spent, apart from a few Facebook ads, I haven't really spent any money on marketing or, um, you know, advertising. Cosmophoto, it's just word of mouth. You know, people who like it, people who see it, either in shops or uh, online and just sort of going for it. So on that basis, you do go through peaks and troughs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just sort of realizing that and going, okay, it's a bit quiet at the moment. What else can I do? And, you know, just having having a blog as well, you know, on, on top of all this, um, I'm doing Cosmophoto, which is – you know, started as, I suppose, a way to just not showcase because I, that sounds like I was trying to make a career as a photographer, but just sort of showing some of the photography I've done, but, you know, more into, you know, the history or the sort of, you know, the interesting cameras or, you know, Uh camera reviews, all that stuff. It's sort of like grown quite exponentially and, so now that incorporates my other blog, World on Film, which I launched in 2017, which I'm I'm mothballing, and I'm just going to actually um, put all the World on Film um, content onto Cosmophoto because I just think Cosmophoto's it's already got people writing guest reviews and um, opinion articles, uh, and I'm interviewing like people and doing like, one-off features. It's it's grown into a big enough uh, publication, if that's you know not too grandiose a term for it, that I can actually have this world on film stuff as well, which is just a way of like showing that there's people all around the world shooting film, and you know whether it be shooting the place that they live in or taking a film camera on holiday, and and you know the basic concept is a a place and a camera you know, Toronto on a Leica M3 or London on a Lomo LCA or, you know, Wellington, New Zealand on a Pentax ES2, like, you know, just sort of showing that there's this community all around the world who are doing stuff like you. And, um, you know, I just remember in the sort of grand old days of Flickr, sort of almost every day I'd see an amazing you know, influential person I'd want to follow and images that I you know, wanted to pour over because they were shooting on a camera that I had or they were shooting a film I hadn't tried yet or, you know, I noticed this camera on eBay but I was in two minds and then I see that they've done some really amazing stuff with it. So, yeah, maybe I will buy one. Um, I just like it to be you know, just that nice sort of inspirational stuff that you come across and maybe you learn something as well. So it might be somebody in a city that you've never heard of and they're writing about what, a, you know, they're, they're showing you pictures of it and talking about film photography, but they may be telling you something else about it. Uh-huh. Who knows? It's, I'm, I'm quite, um, quite optimistic about uh, the blogging side of it just because I think, you know, you, you see the rise of, you know, some of the other blogs that inhabit that space, like Casual Photofile and 35MMC and Emulsive and um, Japan Camera Hunter, you know, they've got big audiences. They're, you know, there are a lot of people 
clicking on their stories every day, a lot more than mine. Um, but all those blogs have gl- have grown at a really impressive rate, and you know, more and more people are getting into film. That that's the thing that people don't realise. It's like I think we do because we're sort of enmeshed and embedded in this hobby and we're maybe a bit more sensitive to, you know, it feels like there are maybe more people into this than there were five years ago. That That's totally what I see every day, A, from running the blog, and B, just from living in a big city where, you know, there's a big population of young people, just I see people shooting film all the time. And I didn't see that five, six, seven years ago. Mm. And I think that's really exciting. Oh, I know. Agreed. Um, have you got any projects that are not tied to Cosmo Photo you're working on or just any sort of vacation plans coming up? Um, vacation plans. So, uh, this week I'm off to, um, Italy with my wife. Um, we're having a, a nice spring break. Um, but obviously I'll be taking a, a bag full of cameras with me, uh, which of course. Is, she's very tolerant and understanding of bless her. Um, so yeah, we're going to sort of Northern Italy. Um, and I'm going to, to a town where, about 15 years ago, I went on an assignment. I went to interview Pavarotti um, for a newspaper in New Zealand. So um, I spent a very nice couple of days waiting for this uh, interview to happen and being told, oh, no, no, the interview might happen tomorrow. So I, I had this, you know, a series of free days in a really nice part of the world. Unfortunately, I didn't have an expense account. So um, all, the, all the restaurant bills were... Um, uh, were mine to to sort at the end of the trip. But uh, what else am I doing? I'm I've been doing a long-standing project, um, just out of fun, really, um, with a band that I met when I was a music journalist, um, American band called Buffalo Tom. Who, oh, I've uh, heard of them. Yeah, yeah, sort of big, sort of college rock band, early '90s, around the same time as the sort of grunge college rock explosion. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, every time they play Europe and they, they still have quite a big following in certain parts of Europe, like, um, Holland and Belgium and Germany. Um, they, uh, take me along for the ride basically. And I shoot, um, I shoot the shows and the sound checks and I shoot it on black and white film. Oh, cool. And, uh, they're doing a tour of Spain in September. So, um, usually when I tour with them, it's sort of, uh, tends to be like November, December in like Belgium and Holland. And suddenly it's like, Oh no, we're going to Spain in September. It's like, Oh my God. Um, so that's going to be really good fun. And that's, um, going to be turned into a book, um, which I'll probably take to Kickstarter in 2020 just of, um, you know, life on the road with them, um, gig photography. So that'd be a good thing to do. Um, I'd like, I've got sort of various plans on other book projects. Um, I would, oh, wow, I haven't really talked about this before, but um, I've got ideas of a book about basically how film photography has weathered digital and why. Um, 
And and that comes off the back of a couple of books I've read recently. I don't know if you know um, Revenge of Analog, written by a uh, Toronto journalist. Yep, I've, I've, I've read the book. David Sachs, um, which I thought was a really interesting wide-ranging book on on you know why analog tech has sort of weathered digital and i think um you know no um no insult to his coverage of the film photography stuff um which was was really good i just think you know there's probably a, a book to be done on how film survived and why it survived um and so yeah, I, I want to sort of maybe see if I can get a publisher interested in that. Um, but that would be a, a more of a long term project. And um, yeah, just just shooting. I've, the weather's been so nice in in London the last sort of few weeks that I've you know, and there's been like holidays like Easter and what have you. You know, I've been able to sort of wander around on sunny days taking pictures. And you know, ultimately, that's that's the great thing about film photography is it gets you out, like exploring the world, and you know, even if it's the end of your street, it's mm. um, that that is the the end result is like going out and taking pictures, and um, especially you know, I'm sure it's even more like this in Toronto because the weather's colder you sort of tend to hibernate a bit um, over winter. You know, that's when I find myself like concentrating on my scanning, you know, sorting through my archive of negatives or, you know, scanning stuff. And then when, when the temperature picks up and the night, the nights start getting brighter, it's like, okay, work, you know, go out and shoot again. And, you know, we're just at the start of what's hopefully another, four or five months of nice weather so this is always a nice part of the year right on so okay thank you for your time steve and i hope to right. uh, come back on the classic camera revival maybe in another year or so we can, yeah we can talk more about what your new film offerings when they when they hit the market and again yeah. if you ever wind up in toronto look us up absolutely i mean it sounds like there's a, a photo walk in the offering at the very least yeah thanks thanks very much for coming on the show no problem okay this is bill smith from the classic camera revival and from the classic uh, camera revival i'm still yeah. here <laughs> and so have a great weekend guys <laughs>